The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And today's show is being brought to you by One Link by First Alert, Indeed.com, and Robinhood. And the joke of the week brought to you by the same guy every week, Duff McKagan, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, bass player of Guns N' Roses. What do you got this week, Duff? Lay it on us. It's Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you from beautiful and sunny Seattle. Uh, wanted to let you know, I quit my job as a postman after the first letter they handed me to deliver. I looked at it and thought, this isn't for me. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> How many Rock and Roll Hall of Famers are calling in uh, every week with a, uh, with a with a joke of the week? Listen, maybe not my favorite, but uh, uh, still solid. And I'm not going to tell you how many takes it took for Duff to get that one out. He gets flustered sometimes, but that's definitely uh, was not a first take joke. Uh, good thing Duff's day job seems to be doing all right. We'll have him on soon right here on Talk is Jericho to tell us all about his new solo album, Tenderness, which is coming out May 30th. But today, we're getting the details of the Ring of Honor and New Japan G1 Supercard event happening this Saturday at Madison Square Garden in New York City. It's true. Ring of Honor, New Japan at MSG on WrestleMania weekend. How in the hell did that happen? Not only that, it sold out like in 30 minutes. But Bully Ray is going to tell us all about it. That's right. Bully Ray is here on Talk is Jericho returning. Tell us all about the signing with Ring of Honor, uh, his signing, his last days at Impact, why things didn't work out with him at WWE. To be what the status is for him and Devon Dudley, his old partner. Bully Ray's also telling the, the story about the Dudley's induction into the WWE Hall of Fame last year. Huge honor. Get the whole behind-the-scenes story. One of my favorite guests, one of my favorite people in the wrestling business. Don't tell him I said that. Let's talk to Bully Ray about Ring of Honor at MSG right here on WrestleMania weekend, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so um had a long day here at Sirius FM. Um Studios busted open with the uh, new host, co-host of Bully Ray. Do we, is it, do we still Bully Ray? Is that what you are in Ring of Honor? Yeah, Bully, Bully Ray. Ray. Yeah, because yeah. you can't be Bubba Ray anymore, right? No, I mean yeah. you know uh, WWE owns the rights to the Dudley name because they bought it out of bankruptcy court when uh, ECW went belly but, up. But you didn't come up with the Dudley name. That was a Paulie thing, right? No, the Dudley name was, uh, I th- and I think we've discussed this, the Dudley name was uh, come up with by Raven and Taz. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's not like you, it's not like, like a, a guy who's always think of like, 
Not Kid, Kidman didn't. Yeah, well, Kidman he wasn't allowed to be called Kidman. I, I can't claim any original intellectual property right. on on the Dudley name. It was an original intellectual property of ECW. When ECW went into bankruptcy, WWE bought ECW out of bankruptcy. And when you buy it out, you get assets and the debts. The assets were the original intellectual property, which are names and characters. The Dudley name, the Dudley characters, all original intellectual properties. Vince owns it. Gotcha. I mean, and I, and, and when, when they first told me, I mean, I yelled and screamed and kicked and I mother them. You know, like I couldn't believe that they were doing this. And then I was like, Paul, you told me I own the name. I'm sure I don't have to go any farther at this story, <laughs> you know. Um, Needless well, to say, not the need, need, Needless to say, though, you know what? It, it all worked out because I changed the name immediately to Team 3D. Yeah. Um, in many ways, Team 3D was as successful as the Dudleys, and we still get to check four times a, a year from the WWE. And it's one of those things, you're so synonymous being Bubba Ray Dudley. I mean, call you what you want, yep. you are what you are. But my point was that, that you do a really good job of busted open with, with LaGreca. It's, it's a Thank lot you. of fun. Probably even better than, than it was before. How did you start getting, getting that gig? It's an interesting story, and you, you, I think you might understand this. Okada Omega won, and Dave LaGreca went on social media and said that that was the greatest match that he had ever seen. And I texted him, and I said, are you serious? That was the greatest match that you've ever seen? And he's like, yeah, it was, it was great. And we just started texting back and forth. And I said, how can it be the greatest championship match you've ever seen when the referee is on the floor for 173 count? I said, a referee's job is not to be on the floor during a championship match while guys decide to do table spots. I go, there's no credibility, especially with New Japan, the credibility of their championship. You know, we're doing table spots to the outside. You know, we're, we're, the referee is not doing his job. So it's the little things like that that had me of the opinion of this is not the greatest match of all time, although an an awesome match. No, I, I see your point. And it's one thing that when I had when I did the match with Kenny, I noticed that when I started watching New Japan. That's why I made it like a no holes barred or whatever sure. they called it. There has to be a reason why we're not getting counted out with these things. Exactly. And, and I have such a big problem with the referees. Like the referee to me is there to do a job. Your job is to count to five on an illegal choke. Your job is to count to ten if somebody's on the outside. That to me lends credibility to matches, especially world heavyweight championship matches. I hate it when guys Eyes crash and burn to the outside and the ref goes and checks on them. That's not your job. Mm. Your job is not to make sure that they're okay. If you want to say that, oh, I'm just going to make sure nobody's knocked out and they can continue the match, that's fine. Go make sure you ask the guy, are you okay? Are you okay? Then get your ass back in the ring and start counting. Th that's credibility to me in the world of pro wrestling. Anyway, we started to go back and forth about the uh, Okada Omega one. And I had always been interested in radio. I always appreciated uh, LaGreca and Mortman on the Busted Open uh, you know, show, and whenever I could, I would do the show for them. And I just said, hey, man, did you ever take, think of taking the show to the next level and doing something different? And he texted me right back. He goes, you want to be on the show? And that was it. It, it was just it was through texting, and it just happened. And, in, and in my, in, my vision was the pro wrestling version of anything that you can see on ESPN where you have the analyst – and you have the so-called expert, the guy who, the football player who played the game along with the right, analyst right, right. who sits back and is a, who's a numbers guy. And that's basically what me and Dave have turned into. Do you? Uh, how do you enjoy like, running interviews and, and, and that sort of a thing? I love it. 
Yeah. I love it. I have no problem. You have to be kind of fearless as you are in the wrestling business, and you have to be uh, willing to ask guys and gals questions that they normally would be a little bit uncomfortable with. You got to ask them in a, in a nice way because when fans listen to Busted Open, they don't want to hear the same things they hear on Raw, SmackDown, or Ring of Honor. They don't want to hear scripted promos and stuff like that. They want to hear some truths. They want the curtain pulled back a little bit. And they also want a fantasy book and they want to hear an expert's opinion on something. Dave gets to be the fan and I get to be the guy that puts that fan in his place, you know? <laughs> and I try to help, I really legitimately, I try to help fans look at wrestling in a different light so they can enjoy it more. I feel like fans ruin the experience for themselves so sometimes because they put wrestling under such a microscope and they pick a everything at the end of the day it's mindless entertainment let's have some fun here mm. you know it's kind of like a quick you know a rock and roll show you know if kiss misses three notes am i walking out going oh man they missed three notes tonight they they botched that song right, 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 right. I'm, I'm going out with a smile on my face because i just saw you know a really great show and that's how i look at wrestling do you have to watch a lot of wrestling like are you are you the guy that always watched raw and smackdown I watch everything. But did you watch before you were on the radio? Not as diligently. Mm. On in the background, just to keep up with the business. Yeah. As a professional, you always want to know what the other guys are doing. Right. Now, I watch Raw and SmackDown every week. I watch NXT as much as I can. Some of the bigger impact shows, Ring, I'll, I'll critique Ring of Honor. And I actually take notes. Like, I watch the shows and I take notes so I know what I'm talking about the next day on the radio. Mm -hmm. Because if people are tuning in to listen to Busted Open to get the quote-unquote expert opinion or Bubba Ray, Bully Ray's opinion, I got to kind of know what I'm talking about. Right. right I'm not right. just going to sit there and fanboy it up because they're going to get that from Dave. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. th that's what I try to bring. Who are some of your favorite interviews that you've had? We did a great one with Flair where he broke down and cried. Really? Yeah. Why? We had Flair. We, we I think we had Flair's first interview once he was cleared from the hospital and he you know he cried on the air mm. you know uh, you know basically saying that you know he was he was on his deathbed he, he didn't know what was going to happen that's the one that really sticks out to me everybody has been really good we haven't had anybody any any stinkers a lot we have had a, a lot of wwe people come on but when we have wwe people come on they kind of just keep close to the you know what's going on on tv within storyline it's never all right we heard there's some heat backstage with so and so. Right, right, Can right, you right. elaborate? Yeah, they're just not going to allow it to happen. That's cool that you're one of the shows that WWE allows their people to be on, though. We have a good working relationship with them, and we we don't go too far. Mm. Like you I'm, know, I know exactly where you know what I can the line I can, you know, get to and not go over it. Mm. Um, if they're former WWE people or people that used to work for the WWE, you know, I'm more than happy to say, you know, how was your time there? What did you like? What did you didn't like? Can you elaborate on a specific, you know, situation that might have uh, been a rumor in the dirt sheets or things like that? Like if, if you were a guest, as you've been many times, and if I was going to seriously interview you, I might ask you about, Hey, Chris, you've glanced over the Goldberg situation, mm. but take me step by step how it right, really right, went right, down. Right, right, exactly. You yeah. know, but yeah. if you but if you were still working there right now with Bill, I might not put you in that situation because, you know, you're not going to get it anyways. Correct. Right? Yeah, Correct. Yeah. So you've been, between doing that, you're still you're working with Ring of Honor. And we just said about five shows a month or two shows a month or whatever it is. And you've been there for a couple of years now. Two years with Ring of Honor. Yep. Which I thought was a big signing 
for them? Because you're a lot like me in the, the latter stages of your career. I mean, whether we last another last or whether we go on for another two years or 10 years, the, you know, the other years are behind it. You really reinvented yourself at the end of your run in Impact with Bully Ray. And I thought it was a money-making character all across the board. What was your exit from Impact and what brought you to Ring of Honor? Well, when we, we left Impact... Um, you and Devon were still Yeah, together. me and Devon. We went right to the WWE because right, I knew that they had wanted to do business. So it was just a question of who was going to call who. And I said, I'll just you know, give, them a, you know, give them a buzz. And I just sent an email to Hunter and Vince. And they got right back to us. And before you knew it, just like two weeks later, we had made our return at the Barclays Center on mm. Raw. And we had a good year there. We wish it could have been better. Vince basically told me and Devon straight up, I want you to help me get over all my other tag teams. I'm going to take really good care of you financially. You're going to travel comfortably. But we're not pushing the Dudleys the same way we pushed the Dudleys, you know, in the beginning. And to be quite honest, the WWE never had any plans to push the Dudleys. The Dudleys, the Hardys, and Edge and Christian caught fire, and they were forced to push them. Right. So, uh, you know, we had a decent year there, and towards the end of the year, I just felt like this act that me and Devon had created that had worked for so long and that was still so over in the fans' eyes was just being stepped on, you know, for other people's benefit. And I believe, in, you know, everybody can get over. It's not just one person who has to get over or one team that has to get over. So we got to help the New Day, and we got to help the Wyatts, and we got to help the Usos. And then on our last night there, you know, we got to help Gallows and Anderson, but it went absolutely nowhere for those guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just such a waste of a night. So WWE had offered me and Devon new contracts. They gave us raises. They gave us they gave us anything we, we asked for. But I basically told Vince, I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this Dudley thing the way you want to do it anymore. It's run its course. And I told him about Bully Ray. And me and Vince had three real serious conversations about Bully Ray. And he was totally into it. He goes, nobody loves the bully character more than me. He goes, that's who I am. He goes, but I can't call you Bully Ray. He goes, I can't use the name Bully and have the Be A Star program. And I, and I, was, and I knew he was going to say that, and I had the out. And I said, well, listen, let Bully Ray do what he has to do for about a year. And then, you know, once we find that right baby face to put Bully Ray in his place and make Bully Ray see the error of his ways <laughs> right. and why he shouldn't be a bully. Now, Bully Ray can be the spokesperson for your Be A Star program and, you know, basically tell people, you know, being a bully is wrong, yada, yada. He goes, it's a great idea. By the time we get there, I'll get slaughtered in the press. Really? Yeah. He felt that, the, you know, it would be too long. You know, you, you have a Be A Star program, but yet you got a guy that you call bully. By the time we get to the payoff, I'll have endured too much negative press by then. Okay, so fine. But the point is it's the character, not the name. Why don't you just call you Billy Ray and have to do the same character? So my backup was, uh, it was Dale Earnhardt's name, uh, the... Uh, what was not the enforcer, uh, the uh, the intimidator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to be the intimidator, Bubba Ray. Uh -huh. I wasn't even going with the bully name, the intimidator. And that was it. And I, I saw the look in his eyes. He's like, I like that. We can do that. One of the things that was important to me separating from Devon and becoming the bully Ray character in WWE was I had to turn on Devon. Devon was the the piece of the yeah. puzzle, because if I turned on Devon, it would make sense. I would have a tremendous amount of heat if I did that. If I just turned on generic good guy, A, it's got no steam. 
And no history. Yeah. yeah. Vince wasn't feeling it. I, I presented the idea to him a couple more times. And then we actually shook hands on my last SmackDown before our contract ended. He said, you know what? We're going to run with this. We're going to do it. Shook hands. We hugged. It was a done deal. The night that was our last night on Raw was supposed to be the night I turned on Devon. Two days before Raw, Vince calls me himself. He says, pal, I'm sorry. We're not going to run with it. He said, we're not quite sure we see the money in the feud. I didn't argue. Obviously, he had made up his mind. I said, no problem. He goes, the door is always open. You know that. And, you know, the last thing he said to me is whenever you're ready to, you know, hang up your boots, you have a producer job waiting for you. So always had a good relationship with him. I just don't think either he or maybe some other people on creative were feeling the Bubba versus Devon feud. I think he was sold on the on the bully idea, but wasn't sold on the feud to get there. It's curious to me once again, because you're talking about a feud that would last for a month or two months. How long do feuds last nowadays? I mean, you could make it a year long, but we know that's not going to happen. You know, it would be the character of, of, of the Intimidator that was, that's the long-term moneymaker. I also think that Vince might have had a concern of what do I do with Devon by himself? I mean, when he originally yeah. split me and Devon up, that experiment didn't go very well. Yeah. Um, Someone mentioned Deacon Batista the other day. I started laughing. I was like, Deacon Batista? That's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I think Triple H said it on TV. Like, you were, you were a lackey for Devon. Yeah. Uh, so the first experiment didn't go right, and me and Devon never wanted that to happen. And we told Vince flat out, we don't think this is a good idea and it's not going to work. I don't think Vince was feeling that, and it would have been a very short-term thing. And I think that the Bully Ray character would have fit perfectly in the WWE. I agree. And, and I know what I could have done with some of the the, the up-and-coming baby faces over there. I, I'm very confident in my abilities and my storytelling in the ring, but it just it just wasn't it's, meant to be. It's interesting too. Like another thing that just popped in my head, knowing knowing Vince, it's the same reason why. You know, he quote unquote allowed me to go to AEW. It's like doesn't matter how much of a reinvention the character is and how much money you can make, we're still guys in our forties. And I think Vince sometimes like even don't forget he got rid of Savage at forty three, said he was worthless and not worthless, but said he was done. Hogan at forty two. Then they went on and made millions of dollars for WCW. So I wonder if in his mind, if he's like, okay, we could push this brand new character of, of Bully Ray or whatever we're calling him but he's still a guy who's, you know, 43 years old. Or if they weren't going to push the Dudleys the way they did, why would they push this new bully? And build a new character. Correct. Right? And the thing that blew me away about my first conversation with Vince when I told him, Vince, I don't know if I can do this Dudley thing anymore. I said, I'd like to run an idea by you. And Vince looked at me. He goes, I know all about Bully Ray. Wow. I was shocked. Really? And I, and I no-sold it. I didn't, like, I didn't twitch. I didn't blink because I didn't want him to, like, but that kind of excited me because I knew that it would, at least it was on the radar. Right. And, you know, and, and we had, you know, we had the discussions about it. And, and I gave him the people that I could work with and the stories that we could tell and what we could do. Yeah. Do you I, think that would have worked? I, I, of course I think it would have worked. I think anything that you would have done would have worked because you know how to tell a story. And I just, I, I love the concept of that character. You know, I'm surprised that Vince didn't want to go with it. Like, and I could go after, I could go after uh, smaller people or I could go, you know, nerdy people. I could bully everybody in the company for every reason I wanted to. And the great thing about the bully character is he could lose 
every single time, but he never loses an ounce of steam because he's always a bully. Mm. You know, heal 101, this is, that's what I do. I do heal 101. I just do it my way and it works. So once, once you know, we, we came to terms with WWE and we, you know, we decided that, you know, we're not going to do business. The minute the Hardys left Impact, I said to myself, within 24 hours, my phone will ring. And about 16 hours later, my phone rang. Hmm. And I knew that they were, I knew what they were going to come at me with. And they backed up a Brinks truck. Not Chris Jericho money, but, you know. Impact did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they offered me a lot of money, and to this come is back. before Don Callis and Scott Demore. Correct, over, right? Yeah. This is when Jeff had come back into power, along with Ed Nordholm, when they first bought in. So they said, "We want to bring you back," and I didn't. For four days, I bashed my head into a wall because I couldn't even believe I was considering it. Why couldn't you believe you were considering it? Because the regime that was there, I didn't necessarily. Uh, see eye to eye with in the past. Um, I felt that at times people were out to get me and that wasn't paranoia. That was on, on facts. Um, and I didn't think I could top what I did. You know, um, yeah. I worked with sting. I worked with Hogan. I was the world champion there twice. The largest gate in TNA's history, me and Jeff Hardy, main eventing, lockdown in the cage, really? seventy two hundred paid. Wow! I didn't, I didn't know who I was able to go back yeah. to Impact with and do that kind of business and top what I was able to do with Bully Ray and the Aces and Eights. Mm. And then they handed me creative for Drew Galloway. Everything that they wanted to do with Drew Galloway, Drew left, went back to WWE, and they handed me his creative. And I said, you can't just plug me in yeah, yeah. to somebody else's stuff. I go, I was an established character here with an established history and story. We have to rethink this. They weren't, they weren't willing to rethink anything. I walked away from the money and I, and I went back to the, to the original company that I wanted to be with. I always knew that Ring of Honor was the company that I belonged in. I just didn't know if Ring of Honor would be willing to put their toe in the water with an act that went so against what, they are, what they're all about. Conversely, they never had that kind of storytelling. So what are they all about? At the, at the, Ring of Honor is more about the athleticism and the moves and the spots. And you're and, talking the story part of things. And, and I was like, the one thing that this company lacks is storytelling. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to bring storytelling to Ring of Honor, episodic, week to week, month to month, pay-per-view to pay-per-view, stories that build and have an actual payoff where other guys can get over and other guys can benefit from it. I'm not looking to get myself over. And I know that in by getting other people over, I'm going to get the residual of it anyway and get over it in the process. And, and you know this. Mm -hmm. So um, we worked it out with Ring of Honor, went over there, and you know, my first night in the Hammerstein. And everything has gone really well, you know, since then. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. How do you like the schedule of Olympia? Well, that was kind of the impact. Schedule was easy. Yeah. I mean, impact when they were running, you know, on all cylinders, we were doing 100 shows a year. I mean, that's even a light schedule compared to sure. the 300 nights a year with yes. WWE where you're just, you're a zombie. You know, you just go, go, go. So the impact schedule, you know, w- was pretty easy. The Ring of Honor schedule is great because I get to do two things I love now. I get to tell stories in a company. I get to be different in a company. I get to be the version of Bully Ray that I want to be. Plus the schedule allows me to do busted open. Mm. So I get to, I have my radio show. I have my wrestling career, you know, on a personal note. Like if you look at your own career, how many more things do you have left to accomplish? In the wrestling business? Yeah. I mean, like we talked about earlier, nothing except for now AEW is a brand new venture. So, okay. So if AEW out of success, if AEW wasn't around for you, there's really nothing, nothing. to account, okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. So when I look at my career, I go, what is left for me to do? And then I realized my creation of Bully Ray will wrestle in Madison Square Garden, mm. not Bubba Ray, Bully Ray. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was a big deal because I created this character. Eric Bischoff handed this character the ball, and I was able to do this my way and on my terms, Mm. just like we did the Dudley gimmick. As a matter of fact, they asked me what did I want engraved on my Hall of Fame ring. It says my way. Interesting. The Sex Pistols version of my way, (laughs) not Frank Sinatra's version of my way. (laughs) Devon got his name engraved on his ring just in case he ever forgot. (laughs) Let's take a segue over there. How was that for the Hall of Fame experience? It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, they roll out the red carpet for you. And despite you texting me, telling me not to show up to the Hall of Fame and pull an Axl Rose. <laughs> I just want somebody to do it. I guess I'm you're going to do, do it. it. Yeah, gonna do it. But, but how did you feel about that? I mean, obviously, you're still wrestling. You're still... It seems, like, it seems weird. I remember when Bono got into the Rock and Hall of Fame. So it feels like something for, for somebody that's retired. You know, I think it meant more to Devon than it meant to me. Not that, that. It, not that it didn't mean anything to me, but being inducted into a Hall of Fame doesn't make me or break me. Right. You know, it, it, the, I get inducted into the Hall of Fame every night yeah. when I go through the curtain. Yeah. That's the only true Hall of Fame that matters. The cheers, the boos, you know, of the people. So it was great to be acknowledged by the WWE. The, the thing that meant the most were that we were the first ECW originals mm. to ever be inducted into the WD, WWE Hall well, of that's Fame. That's interesting. And if you you know if you look at ECW, I I feel like ECW has always been kept, you know, in a corner, yep. in the dark, and we only bring it out when we need yeah. to bring it out to make a buck on it. And you know, these two guys that didn't look like the Road Warriors who couldn't work were like you know uh, Arn and Tully, and you know uh, weren't you know as pretty as Ricky and Robert found a way to make it work in the WWE and on a global level and become their most decorated, you know, tag team of all time, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it, it took them less than a year to decide, you know, me and Devon left 
And nine months later, when WrestleMania came around, you know, the phone rang and said, hey, we want to put you in the Hall of Fame. What year was that? 15? It was last year. Last year? Yeah. Oh, right? wow. Last year. So what's the process of that? Like, who calls you? Carano. Just out of the blue, or do they say, hey, we're thinking about Toronto it? Toronto calls me and goes, hey, we want you to come in for uh, to sign at Access. I'm like, I don't work for you. He's like, yeah, but we want me to want you to come in anyway. I, I said, all right, I'll try to work it out with Ring of Honor. Here's my price. And he just started laughing. He goes, how about we just induct you into the Hall of Fame? I'm like, maybe. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah, maybe. I mean, if it works out. He's like, I'm calling to tell you that the WWE wants to induct you into the Hall of Fame. I'm like, are you are you? Uh, you're not getting the same response out of me than you got out of Devon, obviously. <laughs> so, um, but, it, you know, it all worked out. Devon was in uh, India, I believe, at the time because he's working backstage with them now. And when he yeah. came back, he called me. And like I said, I knew it meant a lot to him. He's got kids. It would it would be great for his kids to see their dad get inducted into the Hall of Fame, you know. And you don't know if the moment is ever going to come again. And you know if you tell them no – just to spite you, they won't call you for I 10 years. I wonder about that, yeah. You know, you, you, you just never know. And I didn't want to put Devon in that position. Right, right, right. Because, you know, listen, if you're the most successful at anything in the WWE, eventually they're going to have to acknowledge you, whether it's a year later or 20 years later. So whether we got the Hall of Fame induction a year after or 20 years, the Dudleys would have still been enshrined in their hall of i don't even know <laughs> vince's mind yeah the hall, yeah. <laughs> the hall of vince's yeah. mind but it, it, they, they, listen they do a phenomenal job they they really treat you well is there anything you're told not to do or not to say or when we got there they said we'll give you a writer to work with we said we don't want a writer they're there they said well they'll they're just there to take notes just to help you remember what you want to say and they want you to keep it entertaining. That's the big thing. Keep it entertaining. They told us you have eight minutes for your induction. And I laughed. And Devon works for them. So he, you know, he's kind of like, well, we got eight minutes, you know? So um, I said, it's, we're not doing this in eight minutes. You're not asking me to sum up my, you know, 20 some odd year career in eight minutes. Uh, and, you know, so the writer is all nervous. And I, we kind of laid out what we wanted to talk about. We wanted to thank our families. We wanted to thank th our, the boys who that we worked with along the way. And we wanted to thank the fans. Sprinkle in a couple little other things here and there that were important to us. And then there were moments. We always talk about WrestleMania moments. I wanted to create Hall of Fame moments because I feel very few people create Hall of Fame moments. People go up there, they do their speech, whatever, yada, yada. Same old, same old. Some people touch more people more than others. But I wanted to give the fans something that they could remember forever. And I wanted to pop the boys. The Edge and Christian inducted us. So you had Edge and Christian and the Dudleys in the same spot at the same time. And there were Matt and Jeff in the crowd. Well, the Dudleys, the Hardys, and Edge and Christian hadn't been in the same place at the same time oh, wow. since TLC2 in the Astrodome. So I figured as like a swan song, here's a final farewell. Because me and Devon are very unselfish when it comes to a lot of things. We realize that we couldn't accomplish things without other guys and other guys couldn't accomplish things right. without us. And the six of us made each other as much as anybody else has ever made each other in wrestling. So I, for the fans, I wanted to see, you know, 
these three teams standing together who who made history. So I thought that was a cool Hall of Fame moment. And then I wanted the moment of it seemed like me and Devon were going too long, like at the Grammy Awards. <laughs> so me and Devon are in the middle of saying something, and all of a sudden the music hits, and I'll never forget the looks on the guys' faces in the front row, like. Oh my God, they just hit the music on the Dudleys. They're yanking the Dudleys and not going to let them finish. And then the production assistant comes on stage and then we, you know, get them. And one last time, the Devon get the tables and we put the guy through the table. So the last thing you've that's, ever that's seen cool. of me and Devon is putting somebody through a table at the Hall of Fame. That's pretty cool. And when you go through your rehearsal of the Hall of Fame, the guy walking you through rehearsal is Vince. Mm. It's not a production assistant or an agent. You are right at that podium with Vince, and Vince says, what are you going to say? And you basically run down what you're going to say. And he goes, whatever you do, keep it entertaining. You got eight minutes. I said, no. He goes, what? I go, 20. Keep it entertaining. I said, don't worry. It'll be entertaining. Yeah. And when we were all done, I I'm proud to say that we did a good, entertaining Hall of Fame you know, induction speech. I was thinking, like, you know, like it bugs me with the Hall of Fame. I remember, like, I mean, God bless, but Hillbilly Jim last year talking for like an hour, and then Austin had I'm not that Austin was in there last year, but then Austin got like you know twenty minutes, or whatever. I think they should do the times for the Hall of Fame the same way that they do for the matches. You got your opening match, Hall of Fame guy. No one's going to complain. I mean, Coco Beware in the Hall of Fame will give you five minutes. I'll take it. Then the second guy gets eight. The third guy gets twelve, and then the last act gets kind of you know, 20 to 30 like you'd get for a main event WrestleMania. That, to me, makes sense. Weight it in order of the importance. Everyone's important, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I thoroughly agree. And, I mean, love Hillbilly Jim. Yeah. Nicest guy in the world. But he legitimately went 50 minutes. I mean, that's ridiculous. And a lot of people were just drained by the end of his speech. And well, It's not like he has – and this is not a bash of Hillbilly Jim. I, I you know, I, I loved Hillbilly Jim for the – Ditto. For the year or two that he was there. But you're talking about a guy that was there for a very brief period of time that most people don't know. If you're, like I said, if you're Stone Cold Steve Austin, you go 50 minutes or Flair or somebody that everyone knows, you're going to listen and hear all the stories. You don't need that. You need to know your place on the card, so to speak, just like you would if you're on a match. And his speech went long and a lot of people got taken out of the moment. The night ran long with some of the other inductees, and then they got to Goldberg, who I felt horrible for because everybody had left. Yeah, the fans stayed, but about the two hundred to two hundred to three hundred seats in the front, where the you know the wrestlers and their you yeah. know families and everybody, everybody had filtered out because it turned into a really yeah. really long night. And I think this year they're going to change the way they do the Hall of Fame and make it more of a an entertaining three-hour Raw slash Hall of Fame than this long, drawn-out things where people take it real seriously. Well, the yeah. Hall of Fame is a show. Yeah, I, I know that, dude. But like you said, for guys like us, we, we don't care. I mean, put me in, don't put me in. I could really care less. But for somebody like, you know, just throwing a name out there, like a Coco Beware may, may, or Devon, maybe to him it means more. And that's – I get it. But you still have to understand, like you said, it's a show. Because here it is. I remember with Dusty, me and Cody laugh about it all the time. Stand up for the inductor. Standing ovation. Sit down. Stand up for the person. Standing ovation. Sit down. Stand up when they ended their speech. I remember we were sitting up and standing up and sitting up so much. And then Teddy Biasi gets in. 
and Brent DiBiase and whatever. And I'm like, I said to Dusty, I said, I am not giving Brent DiBiase a standing ovation. There's no way. And then, of course, Brent DiBiase and everyone stands up. It's like, there's so much going on. Like you said, they need to tighten it up a bit. And I would would definitely go with quality over quantity. There's just there's there's just too many people. It's like we need one tag team, we need one female, we need one of this, we need a main event. Why do you need anything? Why don't you just pick the guys or gals that truly deserve to be there and that's it? And not just look at it as, you know, all inclusive and what we we need to fill this time. Because it's the WWE. And it's, you know, like you, I said, it's a show. Yeah. And I don't think enough of the guys realize that the Hall of Fame induction is meant to be an entertaining show, yeah. much like a Raw or a WrestleMania or any other pay-per-view. Right. You know? Right. It's like when I read when I read a book, um, somebody's autobiography, I don't care about when you were five years me old too. and you were playing in the back. I could care less. Get to the meat. Tell me about the first time you did something that meant something yeah. in your career. You know, it's funny because I thought the same way for my first autobiography. And I think it's, let's say it's, I don't know, 50 chapters. The first four are childhood because you have to set the tone. But I was like, I'm not because I do the same thing. I gloss over the first 50 pages. If they're not out of childhood by page 50, you know, this is going to be a long one. Get to the meat of it. Get to the point of it and move on. Right. Absolutely. And so many people spend so much time on the backstory. Listen, you're a pro wrestler. You're getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. Tell me pro wrestling wrestling stories. stories. That's right. Entertain me the same way you would with a promo or with a match. I don't need to know the backstory. I don't need to know the real story of your real name and your seventh grade gym teacher (laughs) left such an impression on you. Yeah. You know? The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Let's talk about uh, about the big show coming up um, this week at the Garden. It's amazing to me, that Ring of Honor. Not amazing in a bad way, but just to show how strong pro wrestling is right now and how strong New Japan and Ring of Honor to go into the Garden uh, and to sell it out so quickly. What did you think? Um, you might have been one of the guys behind it. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if you were. Tell us about the story. of. of- I think it's very opportunistic of Ring of Honor. They, they saw an opening and they struck, and they struck gold because New Ring of Honor and New Japan are able to do something that no other wrestling company has ever been able to do, run a show in Madison Square Garden. Right. That's the WWE's turf. That's Vince and Vince's father and Vince's grandfather's turf. So when you said you saw they saw an opening, that stems from the fact that WWE had all, this, all the activities at the Barclays Center? From what I understand... 
WWE only runs two shows at the Garden a year these days. Yeah. They run a summer show. Six weeks, remember? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They run a summer show, and they run the day after Christmas. No more Raws. No more uh, SmackDown. No more pay per views. It's just the rent and the union fees. It's the pricing is astronomical. And from a business point of view, I can understand why Vince doesn't want to run the building as much when you have the Barclays right across town, which is probably half of everything. So Vince still goes there twice a year, at least to keep going back home. Because it's the WWE and it's the biggest home base. Right. The Garden will always be the Garden. That's right. Well, I don't think that the Garden was happy with the amount of shows that WWE was running there. They announced WrestleMania in New York, New Jersey. And no events were on tap for the Garden. No Four access. Four shows at the Barclay. Yeah. There you go. Every show at the Barclay. And I think the Garden felt left out. Like, hey, we have as much of a history with your family as your family has a history with us. What about us? We're Madison Square Garden. Can we play too? And then somebody's going, what the f***? We're Madison Square Garden. Why do we have to beg <laughs> anybody? You know, people beg to play our, you know, our house. I think Ring of Honor realized this was going on, and it happened the same way everything else happens in the wrestling business, with a phone call. I think they picked up the phone and got the right person on the phone at the right time and said, we're willing to come in and do this. And the show was on. I think WWE got wind of it. I don't think, I know. WWE got wind of it. They tried to shut it down and come over the top the way they did shut it down for yeah. a little bit right but yeah. then i believe sinclair which is as big if not bigger that's the, the syndicated tv yeah. company that's that the tv ring company that owns ring around it they came back over the top so now vince is being you know kind of he's in a situation that he's not used to being in anymore he's in a fight with somebody with power attorneys and money you know, <laughs> yeah. he, he's pretty much wiped all those people out. Right. So here comes Sinclair back over the top going, not only do we have a verbal agreement, but they might have even had a a very on basic paper, agreement yeah. on paper, you know, a promise. And, you know, it, it wasn't a very long battle, a very long fight. And Ring of Honor and New Japan got the garden back for the date they wanted. Tickets went on sale, 24 hours, whatever the time was, within 24 hours, they were sold that, out. Did that surprise you? No. Listen, it's WrestleMania weekend. It's where all the fans of the wrestling world converge. Plus, it's an anomaly. Nobody else has ever been in this building. Plus, it's Ring of Honor and New Japan, some of the best wrestlers in the world. Listen, you might think the world of the WWE and the way they do their WrestleMania and their entertainment, but I can guarantee you this card, the G1 Supercard, when it comes to pure pro wrestling, it's going to rival everything that's going on in the WWE. It might be a better show. I told, because, you know, some people think of it as a New Japan show. Some people think of it as a Ring of Honor show, but it is definitely a, a, a combined show. But I told Harold May when I was in Japan back in June, I said, I said don't get too high on your horse, man, just because you sold out so quickly. Oh, we sold out. We don't care. It's like, you guys have a chance to either you do a one and done or you make this a regular thing. And if your show is great, you have a chance to then do more shows there. You know, you're in the media capital of the world. They should be blitzing uh, the week before. And I don't know if they are or not, but this is the chance to really kick the door open for both of your companies. I don't think the show will ever happen there again. Really? My opinion. I think that 
it happened. Maybe Vince let his guard down for the first time in a long time. Would you agree or disagree? I agree a thousand percent. Okay. So I don't think he'll ever let his guard down again, especially in his own backyard. I think that this show could do fantastic numbers, but I don't ever think it'll happen again. That's why I, I have recommended to Ring of Honor, you know where the lightning is going to strike, have a big bottle ready to go. Mm. Meaning this is your opportunity. You fire every single bullet in the chamber. You do everything that you possibly can in Madison Square Garden to let the world know who you are. Get all of that footage on tape so you can always refer to that and go, Ring of Honor in the garden, New Japan in the garden, G1 Supercard in the garden. We were the, we stole WrestleMania weekend because you may never get this opportunity again. And in the wrestling business, you know damn well, I mean, especially guys of me and you, when you have an opportunity to catch lightning in a box, Model, very few times do you know when and where it's going to strike right but when you do and you don't take advantage of that you're the fool that's the problem exactly so what do you think in a perfect world what would you want to get out of this like you said so let's say there's never going to be another garden show what kind of momentum what, what's the best case scenario for for ring of honor after this i've been vocal with ring of honor as somebody who's been around for a long time probably has the most experience at Ring of Honor trying to help them understand that after the garden, you're going to be put under a bigger microscope that you've never been put under before. Ring of Honor has existed for 17 years and it's been its own entity. Ring of Honor hasn't screwed with anybody and nobody has screwed with Ring of Honor. It, it's allowed to live in its own world without any real competition. I said to Ring of Honor is after the garden, after you sell out 16, 17,000 seats, you can't go back to a building that seats 2,000 and not sell it out. I said, there's a perception thing going on here because if you can't do good numbers in these other houses, then how did you do good numbers in the garden? I said, and not only are you going to be under a microscope, I said, you're going to, there's, I, I don't believe you have an identity crisis. I said, but you have to carve out what your new identity is. I said, WWE will always be the biggest sports entertainment company and Ring of Honor is an entertaining sport. So that what makes them different. I said, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that light at the end of the tunnel is a locomotive called AEW who is your fan base. For the first time, another company will cater to your exact fan base. And why shouldn't these fans possibly jump ship? AEW are the new cool kids in town. And they're the cool kids in town because just take a look at the fans. You know, Cody and the Bucks and obviously yourself, but you don't you didn't need anybody to do what you did. Cody and the Bucks were able to tap in and Kenny we're able to tap into a demographic of wrestling fans that I feel felt ostracized for a long time. Right, right, right. You know, I, I don't know what you call the, the millennial video game playing, you know. That's you know, uh, Quick funny story for you. One of the guys got a shirt, I think Sammy Guevara, and it looked like kind of a Rugrats or something. I'm like, what is this? That's a Rugrats. I said, what is this? Is this our demographic now? And Cody said, it's not your demographic, but... It's our demographic. Some, I guess Rugrats are cool amongst those kids now, right? It seems like some of the things that me and you would consider ultra nerdy. Bingo. 
is the hottest thing. And who are we to say that it's not the right thing? The only opinion that matters is the opinion of the fan. If they want to buy a Cody's dog, Pharaoh stuffed animal, (laughs) who am I to say that's wrong? That's business. You're presenting a product to your fan base. If that fan base wants to buy it, then I guess you're doing a good job. What's well, something that, that, that we've both learned from Vince, too, is as far as having, you know, Vince is out of touch. Well, Vince might be out of touch with certain things, but Vince's mindset is not out of touch. Never, never not give somebody a chance because you don't think it's cool. Because we don't know what's cool amongst a 25-year-old. We know what's cool amongst a couple 45-year-olds, but you have to accept all of it because that's how you stay relevant. And that's what I believe Ring of Honor needs to do. They need to open their eyes to what has been going on in the wrestling business and what's hot and what's trendy. And how did these three punks catch their own lightning in a bottle when they were under your roof? You think about it. Yeah. yeah let's, that's an interesting point because all in... Was, and when I say punks, I mean in, in, I mean rebels. You know, I get it. I get you. They're good, get they're you. good guys. Course, you know what I, mean. I get what you're saying. But you're talking about all in and how... It was done kind of under the umbrella of Ring of Honor because there was no company. It was just all in Cody and the Bucks put this on, but using Ring of Honor's production company and probably Ring of Honor's ring and Ring of Honor's infrastructure. And then, you know, six months later, goes and starts their own company. Did that leave a a bad taste in some people's mouths from Ring of Honor? I could not speak to either side Mm -hmm. about bad taste in people's mouth. All in was an awesome event. It was great. It was fun. We always talk about the word fun when it right. comes to rock and roll. All in was fun. All in was barely legal. The very first ECW pay-per-view. You know, it, it, there were so many similarities to the two. I do think that Ring of Honor made an error. If I owned a wrestling company, I would never allow three guys or whoever to go out there and put on their own show if my company's name wasn't on it and I was the one behind it my production my ring maybe even some of my money some of my resources if i was ring of honor it would have been ring of honor and the elite present all in and i think that's very fair and that would have been a partnership but hey cody and the bucks found a way to create a perception that all in was all All them them. and what can you say it worked it worked so much that they were able to now create another company. Yeah. I, I don't know if they created the right. company, but are in a situation with other guys and a guy with money to create another company. And that guy with money was at All In and saw what could be, saw what he always thought could be. So what, like you said, that vision came true because of what happened at All In. And that guy was an ECW fan, so he knows what it's like to see something catch yeah. fire because he was one of the, the you know, the matchsticks. Yeah. You know, Tony Khan was an ECW fan who watched ECW, probably went to ECW shows and knows what it looks like when something is heating up, he knows what it looks like when something, you know, is catching fire and the masses are flocking to it because he was pl- probably flocking to ECW. He, he, I'll tell you a funny story, and this is true. I'm not, this is not a Jericho one up, one up in you. He told me this. Uh, he, so when he was a kid, like 13 or 14, he did something good. Like in school, got all A's, whatever. His dad said, you can have whatever you want. And he said, this is not a joke. He said, I want to see Chris Jericho in ECW. It's his last weekend. He was there at the Lulu Temple when I fought Sabu, and he was there at the yes at the ECW arena 
when I worked with Scorpio. My last two shows ever, he was at that with his dad. Just think about what you said. The Lulu Temple. <laughs> right. The f- Lulu, Lulu Temple. Temple. In Plymouth. Young billionaire Tony Khan wanted to see Chris Jericho at the Lulu Temple. Fast forward, what, 25, 30 yeah, years? 1995, he, 96. He was a part of a, of a wrestling revolution as a kid, as a fan, and knew what it was like. Yeah. Because he was, he knew what it was like to want something so much. Now he, here he is as an adult man who now has the resources, goes to All In and realizes, wow, this is yes. what I wanted as a kid. And that's why I always compare All In to Barely Legal and the urgency that, and, and the, the atmosphere that they were able to create because it's very similar if not exactly the same as ECW. And you, as a guy that spent time in ECW, can't you see the comparison? Absolutely. It's, it's, so we used to talk about this. People are excited about feeling that they're a part of something. And it, it, this is not like WCW Monday Night Wars. This is much more like ECW because you have a company that's starting from scratch. Monday Night Wars, WCW had been around for 30 years as the NWA and all these other things. The first ever... AEW show is May 25th at the at the uh, MGM Grand. If you want to be a part of this, you can start at the ground floor. And that's why we do, but you love Motley Crue. I love Metallica. We grew up with them. Bought the first record or bought the second record and came through the ranks with these bands. Same thing with AEW, same thing with ECW. You can, you can see the beginning of it. Beginning of WWE, I, don't, I couldn't even tell you when that was. 1940, I don't know. Beginning of D- WCW, 1920, whenever the NWA started. This is a new thing that people can attach to and say, I'm part of something big. And whenever I bring up the comparison, I get a lot of pushback from fans. And I, I think it's younger fans where they're like, oh, you're just trying to dig up ECW. You're just trying to get ECW or yourself over by doing the comparison. And my answer is no. This is the biggest compliment I can pay to these guys. This is the biggest compliment I can compare, you know, pay to the energy that was all in or them, you know, you guys creating AEW. Because I was a part of, and you were a part of, ECW. You saw this. You know what what this groundswell looks like and turn into. Hopefully, AEW is ECW managed correctly. Well, and also with money behind it. That's one thing ECW never had, was a giant backer, right? Well, who backed Paul? (laughs) Pally. (laughs) You know, so he did have money behind it. There was a lot of things that went wrong. You know, Paul says that, or Tommy says that ECW is meant to crash and burn. It was never, uh, you know, supposed to survive forever. And I have said that ECW is the Napster of the pro wrestling business. Mm-hmm. You know, Napster, N- Napster changed the way we listened to music, but it went bankrupt. ECW changed the wrestling world, but it went out of business. And I've compared AEW to Facebook in its inception. If you remember when they were creating Facebook, and the one guy wanted to like place ads on Facebook, and they're like, "We don't even know what it is. We just know that it's cool." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what AEW is now. Right. It's cool. It's what Facebook was in its inception, 
and everybody's flocking to this new cool thing. And you're selling out 11,000 seats in the blink of an eye at All In. And you're selling out 14, well, I know you sold out the 14,000 yeah, seats. Just me. <laughs> <laughs> you're selling out in the blink of an eye. AEW is doing things that are unheard of. And when you look at All In, Cody in the box did something that's unheard of. Three guys sold out a show just using their social media, mm -hmm. right? Right. Knock it down to its bare essence, yeah. the bare minimum. Yeah. What was it? Three rebellious guys who got on their social media and said, hey, everybody in the wrestling world that that you if you, you don't feel catered to, if you don't feel loved, if you don't feel accepted, we accept you. Come one, come yeah. all. We're, it's an all-inclusive. Yeah, and it worked the same way with MGM Grand. It sold those tickets with just social media. There's and no TV and there's no reason to think that it won't happen more. Right. If you sold out 11,000 seats and you sold out 14,000 seats, what's to say you can't sell out 20,000 in Chicago the next time? Or, wherever or the hell the they stadium. go. Yeah. Let, me, let, let me ask you this as, as, as we wind down. Somebody was going to ask you before when you're talking about RH and you have to – uh, you know, become the cool kids. How do you do that in this day and age? I don't know if ROH can become the cool kids. AEW are the cool kids. Yeah. I don't think that Ring of Honor should try to become cool. So what do you do? I think Ring of Honor needs to become unpredictable. Unpredictable. I think Ring of Honor needs to start thinking outside of the Ring of Honor box. Do th They have been in a comfort zone for a very long time. Listen, bringing in a Bully Ray, that is putting their toe in the water outside of the box, okay? So that's a step in It's in the right direction as far as thinking outside of the box. I think we need to look for talents that can help other talents. You know this just as much as I do. Two guys, two teams, you can only rub each other to the top so much. You needed Shawn Michaels, didn't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. You couldn't. You had worked with everybody that you could possibly work with, and you had given them the rub and helped them get over, and vice versa for you. But eventually, you got to a point in your career where you needed that next-level superstar to take you to the next level. You needed Shawn Michaels, right? Yeah, true. And now, somebody needs Chris Jericho. Ring of Honor needs those kind of guys. The the Jay Lethals and the Matt Tavens and the especially guys like the Briscoes, all these guys who are so freaking good at what they do have rubbed each other as yeah. far, as high as they could That's possibly true. get. You can't go any farther. You now need to work with somebody who's more over, more knowledgeable, can get a better promo out of you, can get a more psychologically sound match out of you. I try to help the most I can, like like, like with Flip Gordon. My Flip experiment, I believe, has worked because at the end of the day, Flip is a more known wrestler now. He's more over in the fans' eyes. And the thing is, people now react to Flip emotionally, not just because he's doing a 450. Right, 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 right. And that's the secret of wrestling. Yes. It works. So who else would you want to work with in Ring of Honor to do that with? Anybody, I, I don't. I look at everybody as my own individual challenge. Put anybody in front of me, and I will get them over. And I don't say that from an egotistical point of view. I say that from a confidence in my ability point of view that I can apply my character to just about anybody in the company and make sure that com that somebody comes out looking better. But think about it, there's only so many yous, so many me's left of guys who have 
25, 30 years experience that can still work and still go and still want to. So it's hard for that. Like you said, to get, because you're only as good as, as, as your competition. You bring in someone with 10 years more experience, you're going to learn. There's not too many guys out there with that level of experience, though. We just did your rock and roll podcast, and when we talked about when Kiss is gone, when Motley Crue is gone, when Van yeah. Halen's gone, when all these, you know, who's the next, the, the next great rock and roll bands? Yeah. And there's really not. So when these veterans are gone, who are the veterans to rely on that know how to do what we we can do, and have the same psychology that we have? And there's not a lot of them left. You tell me a guy that you know. People say, well, who would you like to work with? I like working with guys who are the exact opposite of who I am. Huh. Your match with Kenny Omega was phenomenal. I loved it. Thank you. I can top it. I know I can top it <laughs> because I'm more of a brooding heel than you can be. Mm. And I'm not saying that as a dick to yeah, you. Dude. You know that. You give me a Kenny Omega, you give me somebody that is that beloved and people are so into his skill and his aerial expertise in all his spots and I will go in the opposite direction I will chop him down to size I will make him bleed I will make him suffer in in a way only I can what you did with him was amazing and I liked it so much more because it's outside of Kenny's comfort zone and when you get a guy like that outside of his comfort zone that's when he shines yeah Kenny can go do all of the cool wrestling moves but at the end of the day what do these cool wrestling moves mean? Right? Yeah, right. If you're not connecting or doing them for a reason. Guys like Osprey, Zack Sabre Jr., I love working with the absolute opposites of me. That's why I did, was able to do such good business with AJ and TNA. That's why I was able to do such good business with Flip in Ring of Honor. Always give me my opposite. So last few things. Talk about the garden. Uh, you mentioned how it's, how it's going to be for, for Bully Ray to be in the garden. And once again... You go work in the garden with with Vince, with WWE, that's an established thing. Here's the very first time ever for Ring of Honor, and and you are one of the the tent posts, corner posts of the show. How does that feel for you as a New Yorker? It's cool, because this will most likely be my last time in Madison Square Garden. So when I'm on my deathbed and my last thoughts of, of my career are going through my head, I can say that I took my creation and somehow found a way to get it into Madison Square Garden. Because the Dudleys worked in Madison Square Garden under the WWE umbrella. Anybody can work the garden with the WWE. Right. It's really not that difficult to do. Right. This as close to impossible as it got. Yeah. But somehow some you know Ring of Honor find a way, found a way. I found a way with this character and and you know God willing if I you know last another you know couple of days, you know, we'll make it <laughs> we'll make it to uh make it to the card. So I mean look listen, you've had an incredible career in the garden. Royal Rumble 2000 Hardy's Dudley's Tables match. Main eventing with The Rock in house shows at the Garden. WrestleMania 20 in the garden, so many memorable moments in the garden. And now to be able to say Bully Ray had a match in the garden, I mean, what more do you really need? That's why when I, you know, do you have anything left to do? Well, well, Bully Ray in the garden, that's what I have left to do. Other than that, I really don't know. But you don't have an opponent yet for the garden. Whoever, what, what are you doing on Saturday night, brother? <laughs> Is it a New York street fight? <laughs> yep, open oh, challenge, New York City street fight. Come one, come all. <laughs> I had some, I had some crazy ideas. Mm. I did have, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell the ideas, and I, and I haven't told this to anybody. 
I wanted to work with two people in the garden. You know who they were? Who? My first choice was Hulk. Nice. Because it would have been his only chance to have one last match in the house that he helped put on the map yeah. when it came to pro wrestling. And before Hulk left TNA, we were going to have a match. It was going to be six minutes long because that's all he said he was able to do. That's all you need. So, But before he went back, I, I wasn't even going to make the phone call because I knew that now that he's back with you know Vince and you know the healing the wounds and everything, there's no way in hell he was ever going to be no able to come over do this show. So my first choice with Hulk because I figured that would be an incredible surprise. My second surprise was I was going to cut the promo that nobody was worth wrestling unless you have a ring like I have on my finger. You can't step in this ring with me in this building. And my second choice was Sting. Because uh -huh. I have the history with Sting and TNA. Sting has never wrestled in Madison Square Garden. Wow. That's right. So that was my bait. Wow. My bait was going to be. And listen, as, as screwed up as we are as a performer, that Madison Square Garden is a big deal. And there's a part of me that if you didn't have other responsibilities, well, here, watch this. If I told you as a bud, I need the rub in the garden, would you do it? Yeah. I wouldn't do it in Chicago or Dallas or whatever. I'd do it in the garden. Absolutely. Because Chris, showing up to the garden would be something that Chris Jericho would do. There was a time when there was a good chance that I was going to work in the garden on this show with mm -hmm. you guys. Mm -hmm. Didn't work out. But yeah, the garden, that's what Vince said to me that his dad used to tell him. The garden will always be the garden. You said that earlier. Yeah. If, if this show was in it was in Chicago or L.A., I yeah. wouldn't even think. But to reach out and go, hey, man, yeah. got a chance to do something here. You're, you're one of the people that fits. You know, let's do it. And that's why I thought, Sting, what, what, how Did do I? Did you ever ask him? Because he's under the Legends deal. Oh, right. So I knew that there weren't, you know, there really wasn't any chance. But before I realized that he was under that deal, whatever, or whatever relationship he still has with WWE, I'm like, how do I get Sting to come work the garden? I know I have a good history. I have a friendship with him. I have a good history in the ring with him. And he has admitted that he really enjoyed working with me. All positives. But how do I get a star of that yeah. level off of his couch and... The bait was, you have nothing left to do in your career except one thing, wrestle in the garden. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So those are my off-the-charts ideas. Open challenge. Steve Lombardi is probably going to answer my <laughs> open challenge. <laughs> uh, last question for you. What's your favorite garden moment that you ever had? It probably, it's hard because that Hardys-Dudleys tables match is what really put us in the Hardys on the map and... There was a moment where I was standing, I don't even know what you call, but I was like one level up in Madison Square Garden. So I guess the 100 section, I'm standing over the exit sign where the hard cameras will be. And I had just laid out Jeff Hardy and we're about to do this crazy spot to the floor, like take a 15 foot drop. And there I am, I turned around and I just raised my arms in the air. And there I am standing in Madison Square Garden with probably close to 18,000 people on their feet. It was my rock and roll moment in the garden. <laughs> it was my it was my, you know, rock and roll all night party every day moment. <laughs> and I have an awesome picture of that moment where I got to soak it all in. Mm. And, and my other favorite one is when we did this whole RTC angle and me and Devon, you know, turned on the RTC and 
We blew the roof off the place, but we went five minutes over on live TV. Mm. And you know, you go a minute over on oh, live yeah. TV, and that's grounds for freaking castration. Oh, yeah. Five minutes over, get get back to the grill. And I get one leg through the curtain, and Vince is waiting on the other side. Vince and me are nose to nose. He looks at me and says, if you ever go five minutes over on one of my shows again, <laughs> it better be as good as that. Nice. And he walked away. Nice. So many lessons to be learned in that one moment. And I and, I, and I, it goes back to the whole Hall of Fame thing. If you're going to go over your time, you better be entertaining. Dude, that's all you can say. That's it. That's it, man. So Saturday night, see you there. All right. If, if, if uh, the masked Mister Winnipeg comes <laughs> yeah. to the ring, you know what it is. <laughs> Good Thanks, stuff. Dude. Thanks. All right. So Juice Robinson answered Bully Ray's open challenge to New York Street Fight at the G1 Supercard at Madison Square Garden tomorrow night. You can see all the action live at Honor Club and New Japan World. So check that out. Thanks to Bully for being here. One of my favorite guests. We got a great Motley Crew, a classic album clash coming up with Bully Ray very soon. But in the meantime, and in between time. The upcoming Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Part 2, setting sail January 20th, 2020, is over 80% sold out. Not many cabins left for getting down to the nitty-gritty. So please book today at ChrisJerichoCruise.com so you can join us on the best vacation ever. You can come hang out with all the killer talent, Hall of Famers, comedians, podcasting, everything that you want to see, rock and roll. Uh, the NWO is going to be there. Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and X-Pac. Jake the Snake Roberts, Queen Charmel, Booker T is going to be there doing his Hall of Fame podcast, MVP doing his one-man show, uh, Brad Williams, very, very funny, is the host, Vicky Guerrero, special cruise director, and uh, her and Eddie's daughter, Shaw Guerrero, will also be on the ship, Jack Slade, uh, we heard him last week on the, uh, a couple days ago on the, on the WrestleMania preview, uh, he's a special cruise mascot and official keeper of the ice, uh, Eric Bischoff and Conrad Thompson will be there doing 83 weeks live, Fozzie's playing a bunch of shows. Farewell to Fear, Rubik's Cube, 80s cover band, one of the best you'll ever see. Killer Queen, the greatest female queen cover band in the world. Dave Spivak Project, backed by popular demand. Jared James Nichols playing his rock and roll blues that's going to blow your mind. All Elite Wrestling will be there. DDP's returning as well to host more DDP live yoga workshops on the ship. Beyond the Darkness, hosting more creepy paranormal events. The talent list gets longer and longer and longer, and we'll be announcing more incredible names coming up. Book now at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. You're not going to want to miss this. Like you said, we're almost uh, uh, over 80% sold out. One of the best uh, vacations you're ever going to have in your lifetime. Ask anybody that was there last time. The majority of that 80% were alumni that bought before the tickets even officially went on sale because people were so excited to be there. I mentioned Fozzie before. Got a, couple, a bunch of gigs coming up in May. We're playing at May 15th at the Firmament in South Carolina. And we're going to be there, uh, sorry, uh, Greenville, South Carolina. May 16th, Cone Denim at Greensboro, North Carolina. Both those shows have the amazing Nita Strauss opening for us. Then we're at the Lunatic Luau on May 17th in Virginia Beach. May 18th, the BB&T Pavilion, Camden, New Jersey for the WMMR Barbecue. July 12th, Incarceration in Mansfield, Ohio. September 14th, the Bank of California Stadium with Iron Maiden in Los Angeles. Don't forget also uh, April 27th in Liverpool for the Love of Wrestling Convention. I'll be there. Lots of stuff going on. We will see you very soon, either on the road or here, right here on Talk is Jericho. Coming up on Wednesday. I'm going to look up right now and see who we got coming up on Wednesday. Sometimes it takes a couple minutes to figure it out. Oh, I know who it's going to be. You ready to hear us? Yeah, got it. 
Here we go. It's the Warriors 40th anniversary. Uh, Danny Boy O'Connor joins us from House of Pain. He was with us on the uh, Outsiders 35th anniversary show. Plus, we have a member of the actual Warriors cast talking about one of the best movies of all time, Walter Hill's 1979 classic, The Warriors. If you haven't seen it, go watch it now. That's your homework. We're talking all about it on Wednesday right here on Talk is Jericho. In the meantime and in between time, have a great week. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Enjoy WrestleMania, even though I might be banned from it. (laughs) We'll see you very soon. Uh, Stay hard, stay hungry, and a big yeah, boy.